Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, thank you for the beauty of your holiness, your awesomeness, your grace. Thank you, Father, that we can gather today, we can be connected to those who are not here in this hour, in this moment of prayer. Oh Lord, thank you for knitting our hearts together in Christ. Thank you for bringing us into your family, this great family of every race, every tribe, every ethnic group, every language. Across the globe today, there are, there your family, your great family is praising you and lifting up the name of Jesus and encountering uh, fresh, a freshness from the Spirit of God through your word. May our, uh, may our minds and hearts be open and responsive and listening. May we apply the truth of God's word in our lives. So Lord, we just thank you today. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for this moment of time that we have together. And we pray as we open your word, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to respond favorably to your truth. May the Spirit of God deliver your word into our hearts with understanding, comprehension, and approval, I pray, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, for most of us, I would guess, we have never spent as much time with our spouse as we have over the last few months. And that um, might be a good thing and it might not be. I'm, I'm getting reports apparently, and I'm not suggesting it's from our church or anything, but apparently more marriages than ever are suffering during this time and are in trouble. The COVID shut-in has forced married couples to face their fractures, their weaknesses, what they've been perhaps avoiding through busyness, discovered that you've grown pretty far apart. You've discovered how unbiblical your relationships are. There's an old saying that says the absence of the heart, or the absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'm suspecting that in some cases, presence is making the hearts grow colder. And that's, um, that's because we're discovering that there are some biblical gaps in how we are relating to each other, husband and wife. And um, the Apostle Peter does not avoid addressing that issue. I'm inviting you to turn this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3, where he gives in seven verses a description of a gospel-saturated marriage, gospel-saturated wives and husbands. It is time really to put a spiritual cast on our stress fractures, 
Because there's a certain look to a healthy, a spiritually healthy marriage. So today, um, I want to look at that. And I want to set this up and explain to you that in these few verses, we, we need to realize that again, once again, it's built on the platform of verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, or as we've kind of interpreted that, on the day that, that the Lord comes calling on those who are lost and their hearts are responsive and, and ready. So that, that's the platform this is built on, but for, for us here today and wherever you're listening, um, it may be a difficult time, but it's not anything close to the time that these people were facing when Peter wrote this. So I want us to understand that under the worst of situations and of a hostile culture, which is the setting of this text, and, and we're going to find out that in, in the case of having even an unbelieving spouse, we can live a gospel-saturated life. So there's really no excuse for us to say, well, there's no possible way I can live this out because it's just too difficult for me right now. You have no idea how difficult it is. Well, Peter's writing this under the guidance of the Spirit of God in the worst of situations and calling on Christians in marriage to live out the best of the gospel. So with that as our, our, our backdrop, let me, let's read together. First uh, Peter chapter 3, and uh, let's do it the way we did it last week. Let's read together, literally read together this text. We're going to do uh, verses 1 through 7. Ready? Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, I'm not hearing you much. Let's, let's pick it up. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of God. Okay, so um, God is making really, and, and we've seen over these texts, God is making a big deal of submission. At, at least external submission. You make a big deal of external submission or submission that you can see from the outside. Let's put it that way because we're going to find out it's not external. Submission that you can see from the outside. And of course, built on the platform of First Peter uh, 2 verse 12, 
But, but there's more going on than that because the submission that we exhibit one with another is the submission that is necessary for us to actually respond to God. It's impossible for us if we can't submit to those that we do see to submit to the one that we can't see. In fact, the, that, the text in John, uh, one, of, one of his epistles says, if, how, how, if you can't love your brother who you can see, how are you going to go about loving God who you can't see? So the point is made here uh, that, that we're taught here about submission to authorities. Submission is a, uh, is a, is a uh, character quality of those who are gospel-saturated in, in training in how to respond to the living God. But before we dive in completely to this text, I think it's important for us because the word submission is not a word that we generally like to um, bring into our lives. And we bring with it lots of presuppositions. We heard that word, word submission. We bring with it uh, lots of presuppositions. We have our own mind made up about what that means. And in many cases, emotionally, we're not ready for it. We're not ready for that word. And I, I think it would be helpful for us this morning to, uh, I, I was uh, doing some research and came across um, um, a John Piper presentation, and uh, I thought it was very helpful what he did, and he said, I, I want uh, you all to hear what submission is not before we talk about what submission is. And I think it's helpful. So let's talk about what submission is not. And in particular, I want to zero it in on this text because wives, women who are married, it, it, is, it is directed at you that you are to be submissive to your husband. So I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about that, what submission is not. First of all, submission is not agreeing with everything with respect to your mate. In fact, in the text it says, uh, so that if any of them do not believe the word... So it's, it's clear in the text here that, that some of these women who are married in Peter's context are married to husbands who do not believe uh, in, in Christ, who do not, or at least are not believing the word of God. So it's not possible for them to be agreeing with everything their husband believes. So submission does not believe agreeing with everything, ladies. I know I'm not teaching anything you don't already know or aren't already practicing. <laughs> submission, secondly, does not mean shutting off your brain. Not at all. In fact, clearly, the women he's addressing here are living good lives. They're, they're exhorted to live good lives. They're exhorted to live lives with purity and reverence and gentleness. They're choosing in their, of their own minds from their hearts to act in certain ways. So they are, they are clearly, um, their minds are guiding their behavior. Thirdly, Submission does not mean avoiding effort to influence or change your husband. In fact, they are encouraged to live such good lives that their husband will change his behavior. Fourthly, submission does not mean accepting the will of your husband over the will of God. 
ever. This command here in the text, which is presupposing that some of these women have husbands that do not love the Lord, is not claiming that submission here means that you have to do what your husband tells you to do against God's word, ever. And this is a good opportunity for me to take a moment and, um, you know, cover the whole of these submission uh, texts in the Bible. Because there's some confusion among our church family. I'm getting some feedback with respect to the scope of authority, uh, particularly from my government sermon. Now, let, let, me, let me explain to you, if, if, we, if you didn't pick that up or if we've somehow missed this in Scripture, these submission texts where it says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, does not mean that we are to submit ourselves to any authority that tells us to disregard or disobey the word of God. Not ever. Keep in mind what Jesus said in the Great Commission. You all know it. How much authority is given to Jesus? All authority is given to Jesus. He in turn has delegated some of his authority to leadership in various places in society, whether it be government, workplace, homes. He has delegated some of his authority to do what is right and to punish what is evil. But when that authority, whether it be government or workplace or home, requires of you to disregard or disobey God's word, they've stepped outside of the delegated authority given to them by Jesus. And we must obey Jesus. He's our authority. Jesus has not set up some sort of systematic sinfulness, or I should say systemic sinfulness whereby Jesus has created systems within our world that have been given authority to overrule God. Not at at all. So so please hear me clearly if if we somehow were confused, somehow I confused you on that. And it's the same for women in this text. This is not a call to disregard or or disobey God's word at all. Fifthly, I think I'm at, submission does not mean getting all spiritual strength from your husband. Clearly, a woman whose husband is not a believer can't get any spiritual strength from him. This means that God holds you accountable to live a life of passionate commitment to Christ on your own. You're not to be passive in this. And then finally, submission does not mean acting in fear. In fact, ladies, this text directs you on how to be a fearless woman. How to, in fact, live fearlessly. Not not in fear, but rather fearlessly. 
That's what, this, that's what the emphasis in this text is all about. Ladies, you want to live a fearless life? This is how you live it. Okay? So, I think that's, I hope that's helpful. It was helpful to me, and, and I hope it's helpful to you. Now, we all know that the world was plunged into unimaginable and unthinkable sin because the first woman usurped authority over the first man. Go back to the beginning. And her husband was the first man who got passive and wimpy and weak-kneed before his wife. And we all know the results of that. Today we live in a very broken world. So Peter and Paul write to help to correct that, to, to bring our homes, to bring our relationships back into uh, the design that God always had in mind for us, the beautiful design that God has for us. So let's start where the text starts. Let's start with wives. And the big statement that I want to make on this six verses is this. A f uh, we're going to talk about a fearless wife and the trusting behavior that will get you there. We're going to talk about a fearless wife and the trusting behavior that will get you there. Now my question is, are you ready are you ready and willing to take God's word on this? Are you willing to, to take the text and say, look, I'm ready. I am ready to, to throw myself into God's word, receive all that God has for me, apply what God has for me, and allow God's results to work their way through my life. Are you ready for that? Women, are you ready? This will not lead you deeper into fear and anxiety. That's what often we look at this text and say, well, this is going to put me in a very difficult situation. This is not going to lead you. God would not lead you into more fear and anxiety. Rather, just the opposite. God is going to lead you into fearless living. This is about thrust, women, this is about thrusting yourself deeply into the hands of God. There is no safer place for you there is no better place for you. There is no more fearless place for you than to throw your lives deeply, deeply into the hands of God and trust Him. And that's where this wants to take you. If you fight this text, you're pulling yourself out of God's hands. You're pulling yourself out of the place where you can live fearlessly. This is what God wants to do. This is about creation design. This is about how God made humanity to live. Christians are to model and excel at creation design. It's not the first time you've ever heard me say this. I've said it multiple times because it is exactly the truth. God has made us in a certain way. He's made us to operate in a certain way. He's designed us in a certain way on purpose. And when we function in the way that God has designed us, our lives are enriched and strengthened and fearless and protected by God. And ladies, I want you to really take this one. Men, it's coming. Uh, ladies, I want you, I, I got after you last week and I'm going to end the sermon getting after you again this week. So ladies, just bear with me. I'll get there because um, the text does. But let's understand this. 
Wives, in the same way, be submissive. The same way means, he's already talked about submission. In the same way, be submissive to your husband. By the way, let me stop here. You are not required to be submissive to every man. You are required to be submissive to your husband. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband. So that if any of them do not believe the word, and if you're not married, you're to be submissive to your father. Just throw that out there. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in such trouble now. So the idea here is that she inclines her heart, submission, she inclines her heart toward the leadership of her husband. This is the godly presentation here. Because God created man first. It wasn't random. It wasn't accidental. It was not like a, you know, God didn't breathe, you know, grab some dust and say, oh, I got a man there. I'm surprised. I, w I wasn't thinking that, but that's, that's fine. No, God actually intended to make man first. 1 Timothy 2.13. Paul brings it out. God created man first. He, he entrenches this idea. God created man first. So, by the way, this, this uh, culture of women, we're not being taught something really all that new from the get-go here. Back when Peter was writing this, it was normal culturally for women to be submissive to their, to their husbands. That was, that was the norm. In, in fact, that we're shocked to hear that. that we're, when we're shocked to read this text, it tells you how much of the culture we live in has crept into our families, has crept into our cultural families. This was not shocking to women at all. So, so then what in the world was surprising to them? What was their challenge then? Well, their challenge was when they came to know Christ, they were listening to the message of the gospel and they were hearing, you're now free in Christ. They were thinking, that's cool. We're now set free. And Peter said, wait, 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 just a second. Just because you came to know Jesus Christ doesn't mean that, that he wanted to upend or cause an, a, a, an upheaval of the creation design. No, 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 not at all. In fact, you are now given the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to live out with joy the design of God. And even if your husband is unsaved, you're able to do this. They're thinking, my husband's not a believer. Uh, I'm free, of, I'm free of this guy. No, 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 you're not, Peter says. No, in fact, you're now a, a ministry to your husband. You're now on mission to your husband. You, you now have an opportunity now through the powerful presence of the Spirit of God to live out a life that's so attractive to your husband that without any words being spoken, he might be interested in your Jesus. That was quite remarkable. Now, keep in mind, just so we define the word, the word submissive, in case you're not sure what it means, hupotasso, means to place in rank under, to subject to, to obey. That's what the word means. So it's, it's not wishy-washy. These women, of course, who'd come to Christ were being told by Peter, do not feel superior over your husband because he doesn't know the Lord. Rather, when they see your purity, verse 2, see that? Purity and reverence. 
By the way, the word purity means moral wholeness, which means clearly these women were saying no to their husband in terms of anything that would be um, an affront to Jesus. Otherwise, they couldn't be pure. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be practicing moral excellence. Now, now ladies, this, what this entails is, you know, however you address your husband, you know, darling, I, I love you. But there are certain things I just can't do. I, I, I want to be responsive to your leadership, but I can't go against my Lord. I can't do anything that would, would be in opposition to my Lord. But, but I want to be under your authority and under your leadership. I accept that. But not to go against Christ. That was what this meant. This woman, it then says, gives, gives greatest attention to her soul so that she can do this. Because this is not, this isn't easy to do. This requires God's strength. And Peter's literally saying here, this is how you make yourself attractive to your husband. Unlike the days of your paganism when you used to try to seduce your husband with your fancy hairdos and fancy clothes and fancy jewelry. That, that, that's not going to cut it. That's, that's not going to help you anymore in this life of Christ, this gospel-saturated life. What God is looking for is for you to invest the energy and time that you used to spend in quaffing your hair and putting on fine jewelry and clothing, you invest that time in your heart, in your soul. In fact, um, the, the exact wording here is the hidden person of the heart. Okay, it's, it's translated the inner self in some of your translations, but it means the, the hidden person in, in your heart, the, the inner you. Now, by the way, ladies, this is not a ban on fancy hairdos. This is not a ban on jewelry. Otherwise, it would be a ban on clothes as well. Because the word fine clothes, the word fine there is not in the original text. It just says clothes. Peter's just simply making the point that the way you used to attract your husband is no longer the way you should invest yourself in attracting your husband. Rather, invest your life heavily in your soul because that's the place that God looks that's the place that God sees that is precious in the sight of God that's what the text says that's what that's what pleases God and why does it please God <laughs> because because when you are investing yourself in your heart in your soul in your relationship with Jesus it gives you the spiritual energy and strength that you need to trust in God Enough to obey his word here and respond to your husband's leadership. In the absence of that, if, if all you spend your time on is your hair and your jewelry and your clothing, you spend no spiritual time, you are going to fight against this text. You are not going to be fearless. You're going to be fearful. You're going to be filled with anxiety because you're going to Spend your days hoping that you can continue to attract your husband with your outer beauty and it's going to fail miserably. But rather the inner beauty 
of a godly woman who instead of investing two hours in a hairdo, invests two hours with the Lord. Makes all the difference in the world. That's what this is about. And that's why he uses the illustration of Sarah as the example. If there was ever a woman in the Bible who um, practiced this, and, the, and that's why Peter uses this scripture himself, he, he says here, they were submissive to their own husbands, these women, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called, her, called him her Lord or Master. Now, how was Sarah able to do this? In fact, the, the interesting reality is the text that Peter's quoting from is not one that we would suspect. It's kind of um, an odd situation where three visitors came to Abraham and expressed that Sarah in her 99th year was going to have a baby. And it says in the tent there that she laughed. And um, the messengers who were angels who came to see her, and many believe that one was a pre-incarnate visit from the Lord Jesus himself, and I happen to believe that, said to her, you laughed. And she said, no, I didn't laugh. Yes, you laughed. And in Genesis chapter 18, 12, this phrase comes out. She says here, am I, to, am I about to receive pleasure uh, at my advanced age from my Lord. And she's referring to her husband Abraham. You know, Sarah had a very, very precarious life. I mean, years before, she had been, when, when Abraham and Sarah ventured to, to Egypt, he says to her, he looks at her and says, Sarah, you are so gorgeous. You are so drop-dead gorgeous that the Egyptians are going to want you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them that you're my sister. And she went along with it. That put her life in grave danger. Later on, when he arrives at a guy by the name of Abimelech, later on in her year, she's, she's well up there. And she says, Sarah, you're so drop-dead gorgeous that Abimelech's going to want you. And it's going to go bad for me. So I want you to say that you're my sister. And she goes along with it. Now, how was she able to go along with it and, and talk about Abraham as her master, as her Lord, with great respect and reverence? In almost just in passing conversation, it's not really a big deal. She's not really being addressed by, by anybody to say, could you please define your relationship with Abraham? Tell, tell us what you think of him. No, it was just in her everyday conversation, you know. Am I about to have pleasure in my old age when my, uh, when, when, uh, from my master, from my Lord? It was just her, her everyday talk. How did that happen? Because her heart was so attuned to God, so trusting of God that she could place herself under the leadership of her husband, even though he put her in many precarious situations, and trust God anyway. That's why the description is here, that she's so confident in the Lord that she fearlessly follows her husband anywhere. And that's the call on your lives, ladies, to fearlessly so be confident in the Lord's 
uh, care over your life, that you can put yourself under the leadership of your husband fearlessly, without anxiety. Women, insubordination emasculates your husband. So if you want a man, you need to treat him like a man. That's what this text is sharing with us. All right. Culturally, female submission already existed. We've already talked about that. So what dramatic change then is this bringing into the man's life? I mean, females always followed the religion of their husband. That was the way it was in that culture. If the husband was an idolater, it was expected of his wife to bow down to his idols. That already existed in that culture. And by the way, it still exists in cultures today. Even in some Christian cultures. I have spoken internationally. In fact, I've, I've done a marriage seminar internationally in a context where Christian men... Are, are, and women are in, engaged in, in um, arranged marriages and they, they are, are looking at this text and not fully comprehending how this text even relates to them. So what, what difference did this make in the man's life? What change did this require of him? I want to submit to you that it required a quantum change in his life. Think about it. Look at the first verse here, or verse 7. Look at the first phrase. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. That was a new, that's, that's gospel, guys. That, that was new to this culture. There was no expectation on a man in Peter's culture to be considerate of his wife. There was no expectation. In fact, this, this word means to live with his wife in an understanding way. Look, look a, a considerate, this is the, the big text here. A considerate husband and why some women find submission easier than others. Guys, this is what the call on your life is all about. What does this mean, this, this be considerate of your wives? It literally means live with them in an understanding way. Live with them. The intention is that the onus is on the husband, not on your wife. The onus is on, your, on, on the husband to so study his wife, to so know his wife, to so understand his wife, to so care about his wife that she feels secure in his leadership. This whole understanding way, the, the, this is an immense cultural and social upheaval for that day. Immensely. He, th this means he invests time, he invests energy and money into understanding his wife. Yes, money, guys. You got to spend money understanding your wife. I know you're already spending money understanding your wife. But you got to spend more of it. This means time. This means understanding relationships and studying relationships. This means understanding and getting relational help to be a better husband, to be a good husband, to, to attending the seminars on husband, Christian husband, to getting counsel on being a Christian husband, to seeking a mentor on how to be a Christian husband. 
That's what this all means. This means, this means so immersing yourself in, in the study of your wife and to study the mysterious ways of a woman. And they are mysterious. <laughs> study the mysterious ways of a woman so that you will treat her with respect and love her and understand her. You need to study her dreams. You need to study her desires. You need to study her tastes. You need to study her strengths. You need to study her weaknesses. In this conference that I spoke, spoke in about with, with, with husbands in an international setting where marriages were arranged and all that, I said to them, you need to know your wife's favorite color. You need to know your wife's favorite food. And they're just staring at me like, what are you talking about? Like some of you guys are here this morning. That's what this means. You need to know her dreams, her desires, her tastes, her strengths, her loves, which she doesn't like. Until you can specialize in total empathy for your wife. There's, there's perhaps no greater character quality in being a good husband than having empathy and oodles of it, lots of it. Empathy means being able to put yourself in another person's place. And if you don't know your wife, if you, can't, if you haven't studied your wife, if you don't know her dreams and her desires and everything that she longs for, how can you empathize with her? And by the way, empathy shows up early in the courting process. Don't marry an unempathetic guy, or at least you want to see some possibilities that he might be able to become one. Did I say empathetic wife? I meant empathetic husband. You want an empathetic husband who can see what you need and understand what you need. You need to... Empathy, many times, guys, just means thinking before you speak. How many of us have learned that? <laughs> the hard way. And this guy, this godly, gospel-saturated husband, not only understands his wife, but he respects her and he treats her with respect as the weaker vessel. He protects her femininity and never exploits it. Basically, God is saying, I'm, guys, I'm handing you over leadership of your wife. But don't you ever think that you get to take advantage of that leadership over your wife. This whole idea of the weaker vessel is more about, that vessel means body, um, person, creature. It means basically she's willingly placed herself in a vulnerable position. She's willingly placed herself for the gospel in a vulnerable position. And don't you dare think of exploiting that. Don't you ever think of using your advantage that I've given you as leader of over your wife to exploit the vulnerable position she has willingly given you. Not ever. That's why this, this verse actually says here, treat them, it means actually, that word them is treat your, your wife um, treat her, fem treat your femininity one. Treat your femaleness one. 
It's a real emphasis Peter has here on the glorious gift of femininity that God has graciously given to you. This partner he has given to you. This femaleness one. Do not exploit her. Do not disadvantage her. Rather, treasure this glorious femaleness. Don't look down on her for being female. It's the glorious gift I've given to you of femininity. Treasure it. Never exploit it. Always respect it. Always honor. In public and in private, always speak highly of her. Always speak honorably of her. Always protect her. Use your leadership not to disadvantage her, but rather to actually advantage her. You, can you see where in that culture they, women might have been getting excited? In fact, I think the women might be getting excited in this culture when they look at this. I mean, God is not, God is setting up something for us here that's tre tremendously glorious, guys. Women and men. Protects your femininity. And then notice, treat her with respect as a weaker vessel, but also as co-heir with you of the gracious gift of life. Guys, you need to know that while you have been given leadership never to take advantage of, you're also to, to treat your wife as your spiritual equal. As your spiritual equal. She is your fellow heir. She is not your equal physically or positionally. She is your absolute equal spiritually and valuably to God. Before God, you are equally valuable. That's what Paul meant when he said in Galatians chapter 3, 28 to 29, that there's neither male nor female. He was not talking about physicality. He was not talking about position or roles or complementarian. He was talking about your spiritual relationship. You are, in God's sight, of equal value. So live that way with each other. Respect your wife due to her lofty position in Christ, fully equal with you, fully equal with every other believer. So let's, let's bring this to a conclusion. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. A, a Christian husband, a gospel-saturated husband, should believe that he is only as godly as his wife is respected, honored, and cared for by him. And likewise, ladies, you are only as godly as you are submissive to your husband. But to, in this, because if you damage your relationship one with the other, God says you're damaging your prayer life with me. Particularly to the men here, as leaders who are required this awesome responsibility to advantage our wives, to enable them to live secure, to enable them to live fearless lives, to enable them to excel and be all that Christ wants them to be. 
Guys, we can't afford to not be spirit-driven. We can't afford to have the silent treatment from heaven. We can't afford to not have God's strength enabling us to be the kind of leaders who lead fearless women. So when you choose to mess with your relationship with your wife, you choose to mess with your relationship with God. I don't want to mess with my relationship with God. It's an act of discipleship. Maximum impact disciples. Ladies, willingly yield to your husband and become a fearless woman, trusting in God. Men, in every possible way, understand your wife and advantage her because of your leadership. Respect her and love her and build her. Women, the word here is gentleness. You know what that means? Don't be pushy. Don't be selfish. Don't be demanding your own rights. Be yielding. Be giving away. Be a woman of purity, of moral excellence. That's what God has for you. And men, you're called to study your wives. Put the effort, the time, the energy, the money into whatever that takes to know your wife so you can protect her and look after her. To give her every advantage. Always speak highly respectful words of your wife and show it in your deeds. Piper wrapped up a sermon that he preached on family, husbands and wives this way. He said, whoever says let's most often in the family is the one who's leading. Let's go here, let's do this, let's buy that, let's read our Bible, let's get to church, let's get to church on time, <laughs> let's, um, let's uh, pray, whatever. The person who says let's most is the leader of the family. Ladies, I have some advice for you and men, I have some advice for you. Women, if you want your man to lead, stop being the one who says let's all the time and turn it over to him. But men, this is your call. You have to lead. If, you don't, if you're unwilling to lead, then someone has to lead in your family, but you're called to lead. So lead. Use the word let's most. Let us do this. Let us go here. Let us change. Let us serve God together. Let us read, our, read the Bible. Let us get to church. Guys, take leadership of this. It's your call. Our Father, I pray and thank you this morning for your word. It's instructive to us as always. So we can allow this to become a brain exercise, Lord, or we can... We can cooperate with what you want to do with it and put it in our hearts. I pray that we would do that. Lord, I pray that you would sink it deep into our hearts. I pray, oh Father, that you would uh, help Christian women to be gospel-saturated women who are fearless, trusting in the Lord, abiding by your word, 
help men to be gospel-saturated husbands, taking their leadership seriously and advantaging their wives, never disadvantaging them, that our prayers might not be hindered, I pray, O oh God. I pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let me just, as I'm thinking about marriages and husbands and wives and loving one another, can I just challenge all of us who are within the sound of my voice today that before your head hits the pillow, would you please pray for our dear sister, Laura Doyle? Would you please, all of us? These are really serious health challenge moments for the Doyle family. And I just think that if our whole church, everybody, every one of us, everyone who's hearing, don't let your head hit the pillow today, tonight, until you have prayed and called out to the Lord urgently for our dear sister Laura, her family, for Pastor Nick, the kids, in this hour, for God's mercy. Would you please call out? Thanks for being with us today. Thank you to our online audience. We love you so much. We love you guys so much who are here as well. And please um, remember that this is our time to respond to the Lord for all of his goodness to us. And we thank you for continuing to do that as, you, as God provides for our needs. Um, there's instructions that come up on how to uh, make certain that you continue to support the ministry here at Calvary Baptist Church. So great to have you with us. God bless you. See you, uh, Lord willing, next week.